Hello, everyone. We're uh, happy to have you here at the uh, Freightway Supply Chain Summit on Automotive Day. I'm joined today by Sam Abel-Samid. Sam is uh, not just a former colleague and friend, but he's also a knowledgeable and current on all things automotive surrounding everything that we would uh, cover today, supply chain and on. Sam uh, is a uh, with Guidehouse Insights. Uh, he's a trained engineer and former automotive journalist and still does write for Forbes and a few other outlets uh, on in his spare time, which I can't imagine Sam is a lot of it. But uh, welcome, and we're glad to have you today. I'm glad to be here with you, Alan. Yeah, listen, there are so many things that we want to try to get to in, in the time we have, but I want to start with one that I think is uh, very much in the news right now, and it's something that clearly affects all of our supply chains, uh, automotive and trucking, the same. And that, of course, is the semiconductor shortage. Um, there's lots of reasons for that. What, what's your take on, on where we are with that and how long we're going to be seeing, you know, things like the F-150 uh, impacted? So, you know, the fundamental problem you have in the, in the auto industry is if you're missing even one out of the thousands of parts that go into every vehicle, you can't ship the vehicles. They're going to be sitting there. And, you know, with computer with semiconductors, you know, we've got in modern vehicles anywhere from 50 to 100 or more electronic control units that are controlling everything from your powertrain to your window motors and, and your seat heaters. And what happened is about a year ago, as the, the, the pandemic was really ramping up, everybody, there was an expectation that um, a lot of production was going to have to be shut down for a period of time. And uh, there was going to be a significant reduction in demand for for much of the year, if not you know, into 2021, which there was, but it turns out that as we got into the middle of the year, production or demand recovered a little more aggressively than we thought, than, than everybody thought. And at the beginning, um, in order to prevent a buildup of excess inventory, the automakers went to all of their suppliers, including their chip suppliers, and said, you know, go, um, you know we, we need to cut our production, cut our uh, orders for parts, for the remainder of this year by, you know, 25, 30%. Uh, and as a result, um, you know, the chip manufacturers, the, the chip uh, fabricate fabs, uh, like uh, Taiwan Semiconductor, uh, went ahead and shifted some of their production capacity over to other customers that were having increases in demand. A lot of, there was a lot of increase in demand for computers and uh, and other devices last year as everybody shifted to work from home. So they shifted their, their silicon production over to supporting those customers. Meanwhile, uh, the, most of the rest of the automotive suppliers didn't really have that option. So when demand started to pick back up again, production started, everybody else was able to ramp up, but you know the chip vendors couldn't really shift back as well. So now as we got into the end of the year, we started to run into shortages of a lot of those chips. And that's you know where we are today because we're missing some of those key components. Uh, we're having to cut production because you can't ship the vehicles without those computers in them. Right. So when we get to the trucking business, they've they really haven't had the hit that quite honestly the car companies have so far. But but I've been warned by folks that I talk to that it's coming. Both Daimler and and Volvo warned in their earnings. Uh, releases earlier in the month that uh, that they expected trouble in the first quarter. The Semiconductor Industry Association will tell you that, you know, maybe this will straighten itself out by the second quarter, uh, might be longer than that. Um, 
you know, you've got some really strong demand in a very cyclical business of trucking, but you've got really strong demand. We've had four straight months of orders over 40,000 uh, for class eight trucks and, and so forth. Um, this is going to do what? It's going to push out production for sure, right? Uh, yeah, it could well, um, you know, depending on how much inventory the truck manufacturers have on hand um, and when the chip fabs are able to get their production back aligned with what the demand is from the auto and the transportation industry, um, they may or, you know they may or may not have as much of a problem as the rest of the mainstream industry had. You know, for trucks, you know, <clears throat> forty thousand a month. Uh, you know, that's comparatively small volume to the auto industry as a whole. Uh, you know, we sell. You know, Ford sells. You know, seventy-five to eighty thousand. F-series trucks a month uh, in, in many months. So, you know, that's about half of, of just one model. Uh, so they they might not be hit quite as bad. Uh, and also, you know, the, the types of electronics that are used in trucks, you know, there's not, I think there's not quite as much of it. Uh, so it may just be a matter of, uh, in, in part because of the nature of the chips that they're using, there, there may not be as much of a shortage for them. Sure. Let's move, let's move over a little bit. You know, you, you uh, uh, count electrification as among your specialties and, you know, you were a, an engineer, I think you worked on some of these packages, things like that a few, couple decades ago. Obviously, this is growing quickly now and we are seeing more and more um, uh, infrastructure, you know, charging uh, uh, type of uh, infrastructure support, as well as battery makers and things like that. Where do you see, if you do, uh, see any pinch points uh, coming for electric uh, uh, vehicles, specifically, again, in the truck area? Uh, there's probably two main areas. <clears throat> the uh, One is the batteries, and particularly the raw materials for the batteries. As we are rapidly starting to ramp up production of EVs across the spectrum from light-duty vehicles up to heavy-duty vehicles, uh, there's a, a, there's going to be a dramatic increase in demand for batteries uh, over the next five to ten years, and uh, we're still trying to also at the same time ramp up production of the key raw materials that go into that things like lithium, nickel, uh, manganese, cobalt, aluminum. Uh, so that's one area. The other piece that it might that is likely to pose a, a, a challenge is the charging infrastructure. Um, you know. If you're going to have electric vehicles, you got to get electricity into those vehicles. And for depending on the type of uh, vehicle we're looking at in trucking, if it's locally, uh, if it's local uh, fleet trucks uh, like delivery fleets, local delivery fleets, that sort of thing, uh, or you know even contractors, plumbers, things like that, that are shifting to electric vehicles, in many cases they will be relying on. Um, if, if, there, if there's a fleet as opposed to just an individual user, they'll be relying on charging that they may install at their own depot, their own, uh, their own warehouse. Um, and so the infrastructure won't necessarily be as big of an issue, although you know, they're gonna have, they may in many cases have to put in extra electrical capacity to support all those chargers. Um, for the long-haul trucking, it's a little bit of a different story. Uh, charging for, for long-haul trucking is going to be more of a challenge just because of the size of the batteries that's needed. Um, and in many cases, those are, it's looking more likely that we're going to see a lot of fuel cell deployment for the long-haul trucks uh, because of the, the speed with which you can refill a hydrogen tank as opposed to charging up a, a, a thousand uh, megawatt hour battery pack. 
so local local stuff, you know, where they can charge uh, at home, you know, return to base every night um, and charge overnight, things like that. Uh, the infrastructure probably won't be as big of an issue as perhaps just the, the core battery supply was going to be. Yeah, we're seeing. Uh, you mentioned fuel cells, and it's an area that that I'm pretty familiar with. Uh, you know, from from my past, and it's something that you know does seem to be getting more and more attention. We're we're seeing uh, uh, we're seeing more entries. We're also seeing the companies that have been in fuel cell for a while, like your Plug Powers and Ballard, and some of these guys are really starting to see some nice uh, share appreciation in their stocks. There seems to be, uh, you know, a little bit more sustained interest, maybe. Um, They've always said it's always been said of fuel cells that they're ten years away. Are they still? Um, I think I think that timeline is shrinking. Uh, I think you know it's maybe you know four to five years now. Um, so you know I think people are starting to recognize the some of the potential advantages that a fuel cell vehicle has, uh, a fuel cell powertrain has relative to a battery electric for certain types of applications. You know especially for the long haul trucks when you're carrying cargo. You know these vehicles. Uh, make their revenue based on you know how many pounds of cargo they can carry, and batteries uh, for all the advances that have been made with battery technology over the past decade or two, uh, they're still en- enormously heavy and relatively low in energy density compared to most other sources of fuel, most sor- most other sources of energy, and if you've got if a truck that's limited to 40, 40 tons has to carry ten thousand pounds or more of battery to go four or five hundred miles. That is that poses a problem, you know, in terms of the the revenue offs, the revenue losses that you're going to have in term in, for payload. So a lot of companies are looking at fuel cells because it's a lot lighter, you know, for the same kind of range, and you can refuel it a lot faster than you can recharge the battery. Uh, so I think that's that's why we're seeing this shift towards the big vehicles, uh, the big long haul vehicles for fuel cells. You know, there's a couple of things about about fuel cells, and it, it comes back to you know some of the same questions I guess that you get on uh, battery electric vehicles, and that is the whole chicken and the egg. Uh, in, in the case of fuel cells, it's you know the technology is clearly there for fuel cells now. We know how to make stacks, and you know they work. Um, but there's still that issue of hydrogen availability making it. And and again, I think if you look at the environmental aspects, you know you've got different colors now associated with hydrogen. You've got green hydrogen, which is you know, uh, typically, I guess, from electrolyzers and, 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 you know, needs a lot of electricity and obviously cheap electricity. And then you've got other things, you know, you've got steam methane reform, reformation and things like that, which are, I don't know, that's gray or what color that is, but it's, it's not clean. How do you reconcile some of these things as we, as we look at fuel cell uh, trucks and, and the, the type of hydrogen that we can make for them? Yeah, so there's you know, there's a couple of things to unpack there. Um, one is you know what is the source of the hydrogen, and you know the the other part is how do you get the hydrogen to the to the vehicles. Um, you know, again, looking at the the type of application, you know, these long haul trucks versus you know a, a regular consumer vehicle. For consumer vehicles, fuel cells haven't really caught on. Um, you know, because consumers expect to be able to take their vehicle and drive wherever they want, anytime they want. And so you need a much broader network of fueling infrastructure to support vehicles at the consumer level. With trucking, uh, the 
the use case can be somewhat more constrained. Uh, you can, you know, a lot of times, you know, a lot of these trucks are running along known fixed routes and, you know, where you've got enough density of trucks and if you've got enough density of, of fuel cell trucks, you can install a, a more limited network of hydrogen stations along those routes where it's going to be used. And this, this is kind of the, this is the strategy that Nikola had articulated, you know, as part of their strategy for developing both the fueling infrastructure network and the vehicles. Uh, they wanted to gradually expand availability of the vehicles as they build out the network of fueling stations uh, to, you know, along the, the routes where, where the trucks are going to be used. Then the next part of that is the, the hydrogen itself. You know, where is it? Where is that coming from? Uh, the green hydrogen, you know, as you mentioned, you know, that's hydrogen that's being generated primarily from electrolysis using primarily renewable sources. Uh, as renewables, uh, particularly solar and wind, become both more available and also much more cost effective, uh, that's something that we can utilize uh, to generate hydrogen on you know on site again this is this is what the Nikola model was whether Nikola succeeds or not I think you know, a lot of the ideas they they've articulated are actually make a lot of sense and uh, I, I think can can work uh, if properly implemented so I think what uh, that that approach of generating hydrogen from renewals renewables uh, is the way that ideally we want to go. In some cases, we probably still use some steam reformation uh, in certain locations or for certain applications. But we, we absolutely, you know, as the more we shift it to using renewables as the energy source for production of the hydrogen, and then hydrogen is the the energy carrier in the vehicles. Uh, I think that we can really start to make some real progress uh, on uh, on you know getting towards carbon neutrality for fleets. You know, it's interesting as we talk about this, we're really talking about a supply chain issue in itself, whether that supply chain is is getting electricity at a price that you can use use it to make uh, a green hydrogen from renewables or whether it's uh, mobile hydrogen. You saw recently the Navistar and General Motors and, and uh, J.B. Hunt and, and, a, and a mobile uh, steam reformer basically wants to truck hydrogen, uh, you know, for these fuel cell trucks that Navistar will make. Uh, these are all supply chain issues too. Where are the, where are the hiccups or where are the potential issues uh, in, in any of those models, Sam? Uh, well, I mean, in, in part, it does go back to the, the whole uh, chicken and egg scenario, uh, you know, is picking, you know, what is, what is your path going to be, you know, in terms of which technology you're going to use, you're going to generate the hydrogen at a specific site and dispense it there, or are you going to do it mobile, as, as you talked about? Um, you know, basically, you have to pick a path and then start to get customers for the trucks to, uh, in order to get enough volume, enough utilization to make it all economically viable. So it's, it's trying to get, trying to line those two pieces up, the supply and the demand uh, for the fuel in order to make a viable business case out of it. Yeah, I, I guess uh, just last last thought on, on hydrogen is, uh, what, you, you know, do you see, uh, you said maybe four to five years. I mean, we've had, uh, again, Navistar uh, uh, predicts, you know, 2024. I think uh, at least for the initial Nikola trucks, we're talking 2023. Again, kind of uh, designated routing, uh, you know, for Anheuser-Busch, I think is their is their signed customer. They have a lot of orders or a lot of expressions of interest. But um, do, do you really think we're going to see this, albeit even in very small volumes uh, by that time? 
Um, yeah, I, th- I think we will. Uh, I think, you know, certainly here in, in North America, I think we will start to see that, you know, in, in certain limited locations and gradually spreading out, you know, as as it starts to demonstrate the, its viability, then I think you'll see companies adopting more of these trucks. And in turn, we'll see the, the infrastructure, the supporting infrastructure get put in place. In other markets like China in particular, China is really pushing this uh, for uh, the heavy-duty trucks, and I think it'll probably grow faster there. But I I think we will see it happening here by Mm mid-decade. What else beyond beyond hydrogen, beyond battery electrics, uh, do you see as being – you know, we, again, we, we know that trucking is extremely cyclical. We talk about automotive being cyclical, but, but trucks tend to be more like the, like the uh, high-end roller coasters at a Cedar Point or somewhere like that in terms of the, the ups and downs. Uh, wh- where do you see uh, trucking uh, possibly being able to smooth out some of those, uh, some of those uh, peaks and valleys, if, if that's what you want to call them? Do, do you see that any, anywhere happening? I mean, you know, we've got uh, – we certainly have a lot more going on with the parts ordering on the internet, things like that. And, and, uh, uh, that sort of thing. Do you see some smoothing out of some of these, uh, issues over time? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, you know, you, you talk about smoothing out this, uh, you know, particularly with local fleets, uh, as they get electrified, this is a tremendous opportunity to finally start to implement vehicle to grid technology, um, where, uh, when you've got, uh, at least some of your fleet plugged in, depending you know, at certain times of the day when there is uh, higher demand on the grid, to be able to use those vehicles as stationary energy storage, um, and you know so there's a potential there both to help support the grid uh, with that uh, temporary uh, stationary storage, as well as you know provide potential new revenue streams for these fleet operators. You know, depending on the the nature of the commercial relationships that they develop with uh, grid operators and utilities, uh, so I think that's that's a, a really a key component that's going to help. Uh, and because you can plan that out better with fleets than you can with individual consumers, and you you can also have more capacity you know, because the, you've got more vehicles uh, with bigger batteries. Um, that you know, it can be more. It can be more practical to do vehicle to grid with these uh, fleet applications than for individual consumers. Yeah, let me get you out of here on this one, and, and and that's another aspect of batteries, and that's secondary use. You know, batteries in trucks and cars don't use anywhere near, that that is you know electrify electrification. They don't use anywhere near the capacity that they that they have, and so it seems like there's some interest in. I know Volvo just created a, a an energy uh, uh, business, if you will, and one of their fo- uh, focuses, if you can have more than one, is secondary use for batteries. Talk a little bit about that as we wrap up here. Yeah, so um, this is all part of a, a larger uh, approach to you know trying to make electrification more cost effective um, and less uh, resource intensive because you know obviously it does take a lot of resources both in terms of materials as well as energy to manufacture batteries. So the more useful life you can get out of the batteries, uh, then you have the potential to reduce reduce the costs for individual users along the life cycle of that battery. So if you know that you're going to be able to take uh, a battery, you know, perhaps once it's total useful capacity gets down to maybe 60 or 70% of what it was originally, take that battery out and put it into some other application like a stationary storage application um, and perhaps only charge the original user of that battery in the vehicle 
for the amount of capacity that they used, you can start to reduce the cost there and shift that down along that life cycle and, and balance it out and, and again, potentially have some new revenue streams uh, either for the battery manufacturers or for the vehicle manufacturers. Right. Sam, this has been terrific. There's so many more areas that we could get into today, but I really appreciate your time and, and uh, being part of the uh, uh, FreightWaves uh, Supply Chain Summit. Thanks very much for joining us. My pleasure, Alan. Always good to talk to you. Okay, thanks.